Coffee in Space is a podcast by S. Daniel Smith that puts the best in established and up-and-coming science fiction and fantasy writers in front of you, their readers. Dan's goal is to help you learn more about who they are as people, how they write, and how they live. Whether you're listening to this podcast at home, or in your car, or somewhere in between, Dan hopes to transport you to the crew lounge on an intergalactic spaceship where you can have a cup of your favourite coffee with science fiction and fantasy authors. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy the show. Hey y'all, Dan Smith here, your host for Coffee in Space, a show that introduces you to the authors you didn't yet know you loved. I've got C.L. Pirlo in the studio today to talk about her debut book, Bluebird, a science fiction novel about a smuggler who has to battle the odds to save her sister. CL, welcome to the show. Thanks for having Coffee in Space with us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, especially uh, as we got to chat a little bit before we started official recording here. Um, I want to start with, um, so you're a student and also a digital painter, which I admit I am woefully unfamiliar with. Um, I, I'm, I'm not very uh, well-versed in that um, artistic world. So I want to start in, in getting to know you and introducing you to readers. Um, you specialize, uh, at least as far as I could tell and from your about page on your website and from the art that I saw there, uh, that you, you do specialize in fan art as well as your own work. Can you tell me what a digital painter does and how did you get into it? So there are actually a number of different subsections, I suppose, of digital painting. It depends on, you know, what you want to work in um, and what types of mediums you use. Uh, but me personally, I do a lot of uh, character design. I like doing kind of concept art and I like doing sort of uh, portraiture, I guess, Um and I got into art, uh, God, back in middle school, I think. Um, there was, uh, the, so the middle school I went to, you basically had two options in terms of high school. You could go to the normal high school in your district, or you could go out of district to a different high school if you were going to that high school's magnet art school. And my older brother, who I don't like, uh, was going to the normal in-district high school. So I decided I didn't really want to do that. And I had a couple other friends going to this art magnet school anyways. So I was like, I'll try and do that. And then I did. And here I am, uh, like 12 years later. That is now my job. <laughs> um, I started out, you know, at that school doing digital and uh, regular, like, traditional fine arts and I ended up moving pretty much entirely to digital uh, when I left for college, in part because you're in a college dorm room. You don't have a ton of space for any of your own like personal paintings or anything like that. You know, you can't exactly hang up a canvas in a tiny dorm room the size of a closet, but you do have space for a digital art tablet. So that was when I moved pretty much entirely to digital art. And I ended up taking a number of online classes in more, I guess, niche areas, uh, specifically video game design, character design, costume design, uh, that sort of general concept arty niche. 
So I, I just got to ask this as kind of a follow-up to it is, you know, when you talk about digital paint board and everything, is this, uh, is this the same as like, I mean, are you like moving your, I'm an old person. So are you like moving your mouse around to make the strokes or like, is this a, a stylus of some kind or how are you doing? It? Yeah. So I use a stylus. I have, um, I have a 27 inch Wacom Cintiq and you use a stylus on it. It, uh, it basically projects a copy of your computer screen and then you use the stylus to directly draw on, you know, like I, I use Photoshop. So to directly draw on a Photoshop document. Well, I, I saw plenty of your samples on your website that look really cute, look pretty. Oh, thank you. Now that you're also a novelist, though, are you going to continue in this uh, form of art as well? Are you going to use it to are, are they going to bounce off each other? Uh, how do you plan to use your art? now that you are an artist in a different form as well? I mean, I don't think I could ever stop doing art for kind of the same reason. I don't think I could ever stop writing. Um, it's sort of part of who I am. It's one of those things that, uh, you know how sometimes you just feel a need to do something? Like you have to do it, even if you're not going to get paid. Like it's important to you. It, you know, it gives you energy, um, that sort of thing. So I don't think I'm ever going to stop doing art, but it does inform a lot of my my writing. Um, I've, I've done a couple of pieces, uh, sort of concept and otherwise for Bluebird. Um, and, you know, when I'm writing, I'm always thinking in a very visual fashion, like how would this translate to, you know, a, a movie or how would this translate in a video game? How would this translate in a painting? Uh, like, you know, okay, I'm writing this scene and I know what's happening, but if I have that image in my head of how it would look, I feel like it adds a different element to it. I was trying to see if any of the images on, on your website looked like you had uh, your novel specific artwork up there. And a couple of the images kind of look like that, but is that, do you have uh, artwork that's up there now? That's part of it. I have three grand total of three pieces from bluebird on my okay. website i, I have some pretty old art i did of rig and ginka mm. and then i have relatively more recent art i did that was mostly a technical study um of sort of lighting and back muscles i guess for rig in june okay, okay that's awesome but I'm, I'm glad to see that more okay. recent stuff is on my twitter Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to link to that by the time we're done too. Um, okay. So one more question in a kind of get to know you. Um, when we were talking before we started recording the episode, um, I asked you about your name. I had never heard that name before and you informed me it was French and then we had a nice little talk about it. And I want you to explain if you're interested in doing so, why your name is what it is because it's not the same type of story uh, that most people have. Can you talk about how your name came about? Oh, sure. So I was actually born Charlotte Ann Strugnall Lees, which is a hell of a name. Also, the surname Strugnall Lees doesn't fit on any of those little fill in your name here assignments and forms that you had to do when you were a kid. So I never really liked my name. Um, and I sort of always considered in the back of my mind, like, oh, when I'm 18, I'm totally going to change my name. 
you know, in the way sometimes kids do, but I kept thinking it and I kept being like, ma'am, I don't like my name. This doesn't feel like me. This kind of sucks. And when I was in high school, um, I think senior year, uh, I made it, well, okay, no, it was sophomore year. I struck a deal with my parents where I was like, okay, if I can get everyone, you know, friends, teachers, family to call me by a new name, will you let me change my name? And both my parents said yes. And I don't know if they thought I was serious or not, or were just humoring me, but either way, I committed and I committed hard. And in my senior year of high school, I did the whole go to court, legally changed my entire name thing. So my new name, well, new, has been my name for a long time now, uh, is C.L. Raphael Pirlo. So the etymology of that is mostly French. Um, my mom's side of the family, okay, well, my mom's mom's side of the family is Belgian. And so Ciel is French for sky. And Pirlo is the name of my mom's mom's family. They are the Pirlos. Um, so I kind of wanted that connection to my family. And I also chose my middle name, uh, Raphael, because the tan I, the town I grew up in was San, San Rafael. And I kind of wanted that connection as well. But oh, I, yeah, I gotta, legally changed the whole thing. Yeah. And I, I think that's interesting. I got to ask, what are your, what did your parents think when you said, okay, everyone's doing it now I'm going to go to court? Um, you know, I honestly don't know. They were both pretty supportive. Uh, I, I don't, know if they initially thought I was super serious like the fact that they were like oh you know you can if you try it for a year see how it goes you know we'll, we'll let you change your name I think that was sort of they thought I might chicken out um or you know they were being polite and just wanted to make sure that I had thoroughly considered it and got used to it and liked the name I picked so I don't know, both of them were totally supportive and, you know, they had to sign off on the permission for like, cause when you, when you have to fill out all those forms to legally change your name, if you're under 18, your parents do generally have to give you permission. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Well, that's cool. I just, uh, I had to take a walk down that little path. I had to know more about that. So thanks for, uh, indulging me on that. Uh, oh, yeah, let's, sure. let's get to the story now, because that's, that's what you're here to talk about. If you don't mind, kind of set the scene, a synopsis, if you will, of the story that makes up your novel. So the premise of the novel is we have Rig, who is this sort of law-breaking gunslinger living on the edges of society. And she's spent years avoiding these three factions. There's like three factions controlling the galaxy. And she actually deserted one of them a few years ago. She, so she spent years running from them, being kind of a sort of freedom fighter almost. And then she gets hunted down by them. They find her and she learns that they have her twin sister captive and they are willing to use her twin sister for nefarious purposes in order to get back what Rig stole when she initially left because she stole weapon plans that she designed. She was a weapons developer. She was like a like the Tony Stark of this galaxy, right? And she realized, oh shit, I'm gonna murder a lot of people if this ever goes into production. So she stole her plans and left. And now her faction wants those weapons back. So the story is about her trying to save her sister while also 
not giving this faction what they want because it will cause mass destruction if she does. And along for the ride, you have uh, your mandated colorful cast of characters, shall we say. So you have this former bounty hunter who's kind of weird, kind of shady. You have Riggs sort of resistance network contacts. And you've got Riggs' girlfriend, who's actually a librarian and is sort of stuck on her home world. So a lot of Rig and uh, her girlfriend's name is June. So a lot of Rig, Rig and June's relationship is that kind of long distance uh, yearning, all that. So a question I like asking uh, authors, uh, especially considering the plot, you know, in that she escaped or she has escaped uh, from the faction overseers with the, her plans um, she's uh, off to try and rescue her sister. So that's that's kind of the plot you're just kind of wrapping up there. The question I want to know is, how'd you dream that up? Is that a, something where it, it developed over time? Did you wake up one morning knowing the whole thing? How did, how did it come about? So I'm that person where I always like cool weapons in my media. If somebody has a cool sword or a cool gun, I am there for it. I am always down for awesome weapons. And I had this sort of image in my head of, I thought it'd be really funny if you had a character who was kind of like uh, fun and funky, kind of like a D&D style bard who had these two guns and one gun is named Panache and the other is named Pizzazz. So the guns kind of formulated Riggs' character because those are still the guns she has in the book. And they're actually kind of important because, again, I I love me a fancy weapon. So from those guns grew the idea of Riggs' character. And from there, I kind of, you know, I was thinking more and more about this character. Like, oh, you know, what's she like? You know, what is what has she done? What's her backstory? You know, what universe is she living in? And from there, it all kind of developed naturally. And I think I... The, the second most important character, I guess, is Ginka, who is the mysterious bounty hunter that follows Rig around. Um, that kind of came out of uh, a weird place in that I watched a lot of movies where you'd have an action scene and, you know, the villains would like grab a random civilian hostage and be like, all right, hero, put your weapons down or else we kill this random civilian. And I thought it'd be really funny if like, you know, the villains grab a random civilian and the random civilian turns out to be like an incredibly dangerous badass who's just wandering through and didn't ask to be dragged into this mess, but is now dragged into this mess. So that is actually how we meet Genka in the book. That's not a spoiler. It's in like chapter one. You meet her because she's like trying to, you know, they use her as a civilian hostage and she's just like, nah, I'm not here for this. I'm going to beat you guys up. And then from that, I came up with her character, like, oh, well, what's she doing? Where's she from? Why is she there? And that kind of, yeah, it kind of grew from there. Grew pretty organically. That's pretty cool. But it did grow fast. I think I, from when I developed the book to when I started writing, it was, I don't know, three months maybe. So it did grow fast. So do you, uh, when you said develop, are you... Do you outline? Do you uh, are you what we call a, a discovery writer or a pantser? How do you do your writing? Oh, I generally outline, but my outlines are incredibly vague. 
so I, I do a lot of, I, I write completely liter linearly. So I'll start on page one and go to page two and then page three. I don't really, you know, go back and forth and write, you know, different scenes from different, uh, you know, parts of the book until I get to the editing process where you kind of just have to do that. But I will, you know, write completely linearly. So it ends up being a lot of times, uh, you know, halfway through or at the end, uh, what I have is different than what I initially envisioned because it has just kind of grown organically. Um, and that's how I've always written. And I, I'm okay with that. I don't generally try to fight that. Uh, my actual, the, uh, the, the next book I'm writing or the one I wrote, but it's not on submission yet. Uh, I had to write out like a whole lengthy synopsis for my agent. And then I started writing the book and like halfway through, I was like, oh, I've deviated completely from this synopsis. It is no longer going to have the same ending. It's going in a different direction. And you just, I just kind of have to embrace that and be all right with it. How'd your agent handle that? Generally pretty cool. Like I, yeah. I sent her an email, I think. Uh, I was like, oh, by the way, I've decided to completely change this plot point and this character's personality. And she was like, sounds great. Go for it. Cool. So. Yeah, it's nice to have a supportive voice uh, in the background to help you out. Oh, yeah. My agent's amazing. I love her so much. She's fantastic. Great. Um, so uh, another thing I like to talk about here is world building. Uh, we've kind of danced around a little bit as we talked about plot and characters and other uh, developmental uh, work for your writing. But uh, like a lot of space opera type stories, this it's a pretty expansive world, as it were, uh, a universe for the world building. How did you... How did you come up with that part of it? Was that a, a part of that three month time period? Uh, did it develop even as you were still writing it? Talk, talk to me about world building. How did it work out for you? So a lot of the world building did develop as I was writing. And especially when I went back and did, you know, round after round of edits. Um, one of the things I try to keep in mind when I world build is you're only seeing what your character sees. So if your character, for example, is, you know, they're like a warrior, you're going to learn a lot about battles and maybe like the political situation or the lay of the land if they're traveling around. But, you know, they're not going to be like, oh, let me tell you all about the monetary system in our world and what our coin is like, because it doesn't matter to them. They're not thinking about it. So oftentimes I'll have a pretty general outline of how I want the world building to go. Like I'll have a, a vibe of the universe. I'll be kind of like, oh, this is kind of what I want it to be like. And then as I go along, I'll think about, okay, what does the character actually need to know here? Like, what would she be thinking about? What would be important to her? Um, because I, I, when I was writing Bluebird, I wanted it to have this kind of uh, upbeat, rompy kind of vibe I mean, there are serious moments, but I wanted it to have that sort of lighter tone. And part of that is I didn't want to sort of do like uh, what's called, you know, hard sci-fi. I didn't want to be like, okay, here's the nitty gritty of a lot of the technology. Here's the nitty gritty of a lot of the world building. I wanted to keep, I wanted to keep it kind of light and intuitive almost. Like I didn't, I didn't want to treat my readers like they're idiots and they need to be spoon fed every single piece of information that, you know, they've already seen in a billion other pieces of sci-fi media. Um, but that did mean that initially in like, you know, the first few drafts, the world building was a bit too light. 
So I did have to go back and add more and more world building as I went along, you know, different drafts of it. But I, I did generally approach it with this sort of, I wanted it to be like a, a mix of kind of Firefly, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe, a uh, spectacular book. Um, I wanted it to have that kind of familiar uh, atmosphere. I, I, I'm not familiar with the third work you mentioned, but I can tell you right now uh, from what I was able to get to read before we had our our interview, I definitely saw the uh, the Firefly type concept and Guardians of the Galaxy as the team of, you know, almost misfits uh, all together and, and kind of building out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. I thought that was really, you did a good job. You did a good job putting yeah, it all thank together. Thank you. I did, um, um, I did a TikTok recently, and I think I actually advertised the book as Guardians of the Galaxy, but for people who specifically don't like Chris Pratt. Uh, and that's kind of the vibe I was going for. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, and not a way I would have thought of that. That's, uh, that's why you're the creator of that piece and not me. Um, <laughs> so what theme or themes were important to you as you wrote this story? Or did they kind of come out on their own without you thinking through them? So I've found that in general, if I write and I try to think, oh, man, I'm going to have this like super important overarching theme of the book. Uh, it ends up reading as kind of pretentious or like I'm trying to say something, but I'm trying to say it so hard that it just ends up, you know, being like, okay, we get it already, move on. Uh, so I've found that it's better for me to write and kind of let the, you know, the main themes grow naturally as the characters develop and as the plot comes along. So with Bluebird, um, I ended up, I started with this kind of vibe of, uh, stories in space, for lack of a better word. And it ended up having this kind of, um, like, I mean, obviously, I knew I wanted it to be, uh, you know, anti-authoritarian from the beginning, you know, every time you have evil governments, you got to lean into the fact that they're evil governments, and you're fighting against them. But it ended up also having these kind of uh, anti-colonial narratives as well, um, which uh, I didn't originally anticipate being as big a part of the book as they ended up, but I'm very happy that they ended up a big part. Okay. So you've alluded a little bit to um, the next story, but tell us what's next for you. Uh, is it this story? Is there another one in the, in the oven as it were? Um, what's next? So I don't actually have any plans to write any kind of sequel for Bluebird or even anything set in the same universe. Um, obviously readers may disagree with me on this, but as I view it, I think the ending is pretty satisfactory. And I think it gives a good conclusion to all the characters arcs throughout the book. And part of me feels like if I was going to go back and revisit, you know, and have some kind of new conflict, it would sort of cheapen the ending, it would cheapen where the characters end up, I want to feel like, oh, you know, they just settled down to where they should be. And now they're on the road again, having to go fight another fight. So, yeah, I currently don't have any plans to write more um, for Bluebird. Uh, the next thing I'm writing uh, is, gosh, how do I describe this? Sort of a pseudo-Gothic Victorian uh, vampire book with sword fights. Very, uh, very aesthetic, very vibe. Um, the general gist there is uh, you have your protagonist who 
has been captured by vampires and is forced to go through this fancy, crazy party and all the associated magic. And she has to like save herself using the power of her own rage. Sounds like you're going to pack quite a bit into that story. Oh, I hope so. I, I generally go for these sort of, uh, how do I say this? Stupid premises. I generally go for stuff that is kind of random and, I guess, you know, yeah, silly premises that seem silly. Like, oh, you're trapped in a vampire house. It's an escape room. <laughs> I guess it is. Um, okay, so in the final few minutes we have, uh, tell the listeners how they can learn more about your work, your art, and your writing, uh, as well as uh, how they can connect with you. Um, so I am on Twitter. I am a professional writer person on Twitter. Uh, I post some of my art there. Uh, I don't post any fan art on my Twitter. I am one of those people that keeps my fan art completely separate from my original art. Uh, so you can find all my original art on Twitter. Uh, you can find random shit that I tweet on Twitter. Uh, I have my website. My blog there is sparsely updated, shall we say. I have my I have a miniature portfolio on my Twitter or on my website, sorry. Uh, but again, I don't update it that often. Um, what I do have, if you want to specifically look at my art, is I have an art station account, and that I do generally update more frequently. Uh, okay, so great. I'm going to link to uh, the Twitter, the website, and whatnot. Um, hope, hopefully, uh, some people get to learn some really cool things. I will say, you got to check out this art because the the art is cool. She's uh cl is really playing this down uh, about how it hasn't been updated in a while and whatnot but there's some really cool uh paintings up there i, I thought they're really neat some good art oh, thank you um okay folks that's all we have for today uh i uh, cl thanks for coming on the show i've really enjoyed our talk yeah thank you so much for having me it's been great and thanks for uh, listening. Uh, th- those of you who are uh, listening to this podcast episode right now, um, I, I would appreciate a subscribe and a review if you have time. Um, thank you for uh, joining us for this episode. And I can't wait till we uh, talk again over books and world building with another author over a cup of coffee in space. Mm-hmm.